I found a red VHS tape in my grandma's collection. What I saw still terrifies me. Part 4. This story has been written by you Bubbles Shark. I take no credit for this story. The world outside was now dark and grey from the cloud cover. Soon it would begin to rain. We had all gathered in the large main room of the cabin turned police station. My family, Cartwright, and the other two less useful troopers. After cussing them out for a healthy amount of time, Cartwright told Serrano, the younger one, to grab his laptop from the office. While the young trooper went off grumbling to do so, Cartwright relayed Isabel's realization to the group. So we can just track the phone my grandfather asked. I explained to him that all I had to do was log into a website online and using that we could get a GPS location of where the phone was. And where the phone is. Maybe the hunter is. Thomas concluded. But what if he just ditched the phone he might have? I reasoned. But maybe he doesn't know about it. I mean. He's been in prison for a long time right? Technology has changed since then. I didn't know about it. Grandpa added. And I haven't even been to jail. If he knows then he probably would have ditched it by now. If the phone isn't moving on the map then that's probably what happened. I continued. But if it's on the move, we'll be one step ahead of him. Thomas concluded. And with the numbers advantage and the arms advantage. This guy's toast. Cartwright assured. Serrano set down the bulky, out-of-date laptop on the round table we'd been sitting at. I logged into the website to find my phone. The marker on the map was still at the motel, which confused Cartwright, but he explained that he may have missed it, or that the hunter dropped it somewhere nearby. I asked him when he called the number and when the man picked up. Cartwright pulled up his phone log to be sure. That wasn't too long after the incident, but why would he hang around the scene of the crime for so long maybe he didn't. Maybe he hung around in the woods, but just close enough to ambush you if you tried to come back. If you brought your grandfather along to help, was no one else at the motel Isabel asked. I shook my head. It's not tourist season and why else would someone stay in this place? I had to call the owner, insist that he came down to give me a key. Waiting in the ranger was horrifying, but I called that guy. Cartwright interrupted, then apologized for doing so. When I saw the motel and the wreckage as I drove past it, I told him to be careful but to get down there as quick as he could. We discussed the issue for a while longer. Then the problem of the flash drive was brought up. Should we watch it? Thomas and Isabel argued that even here wasn't secure enough to risk the hunter knowing our location. Grandma agreed. Grandpa wanted to hear what the hunter had to say, but eventually relented once he realized he was alone in the matter. If we can catch this guy without playing his game, that's the best possible outcome. Cartwright reasoned. All his speech is gonna do is rile us up and skew our mission. We have a good plan as long as he held on to the phone. Now we just wait and see. The mood in the air never lessened. I felt the flash drive shifting in my pocket whenever I moved. Serrano took the opportunity to apologize to me for his behavior the previous day. He explained that in all his years of being in this town, nothing had ever happened. Mostly it was false reports and wasting time. Our conversation was interrupted when the older trooper captured everyone's attention. You might wanna see this, Henton said. He turned the laptop to show us the marker on the GPS was now moving away from its resting spot and onto the highway. Guess he got sick of waiting, Henton. Serrano, you're both with me, demanded Cartwright. Suit up, full kits. We're getting this SOB and we're doing it quickly. He turned to the five of us. Can't have y'all coming with me. 
It's too dangerous. He received no complaint from us. Then he told Thomas, Isabel, and I to follow him deeper into the station. He unlocked a door to reveal a windowless room filled with guns and ammunition. I expect the guns back, he said. The bullets though, those are for the hunter to keep. If he shows up, he winked at us and patted Thomas on the shoulder. We grabbed a rifle or shotgun each, a handgun to match, including two for grandma and grandpa. While we shuffled through the boxes of ammunition to find the corresponding packages, Thomas chuckled. What's up I asked, slipping some boxes into a large hiking backpack. You think this is the real reason Gramps always took us out hunting? Made sure we knew guns I thought it over and found myself chuckling as well. As we unloaded all of the arms onto the large round table that we'd gathered around earlier. Cartwright gave us some final words. The sun's going down. Get some rest. But you might want to leave some lookouts awake. The cameras keep an eye all around the station. We left the door to the security room unlocked so you can see the screens. I'm sorry we didn't have any vests for y'all. Only got three and they're fitted for us. He looked around seriously at each of us. You cannot. Let me stress this. You cannot be too careful tonight. Make sure someone has an eye on those screens at all times. Cartwright. I said just as he was about to walk through the door. I shot him two times straight to the chest and he kept walking. He nodded. He's probably wearing a vest under that coat of his. He barely even flinched, though. And they weren't far away shots either. Virtually point blank. Rifle too. Just. Just don't underestimate him. He nodded in agreement. Then with a casual salute he was gone. They took each of their SUVs leaving us with only the van at the edge of the dirt driveway. Thomas went over and deadlocked the front door. As he did, he looked out the window at the blackened sky and the blurry, concealed sun as it touched the tree line. It's starting to rain, he said. Drops of liquid soon decorated the glass panes as if to prove him right. The similarities to that first encounter with the hunter made my stomach uneasy. Could it be so easy? Would the three troopers catch the hunter by surprise? My mind went back to what the hunter said to me. What I had relayed to Cartwright. I underestimated you. Would he really underestimate us again? I pondered these questions as I helped my grandfather out of his wheelchair and into the bed of one of the rooms. The police station had it so that the troopers could stay overnight if needed. He cried in pain from the few steps to the bed. As he collapsed down he laughed a little while blinking the tears from his eyes. It just occurred to me that I can finally tell you why I have all these back problems, he said. You told me it was all those years with the oil company. I didn't lie, but that's not where it started. After that incident with the three of you and Okhotnik, I tracked him down. We had a shootout and he got me right near the spine. I'm surprised he didn't paralyze me. Then once he was off to prison I went back to working at the oil rig. Only the work was a lot harder. Too many years of that and, well, I was really happy when I finally retired. He smiled at me brightly, expecting a response. I didn't give one. After the story, I simply said goodnight and went to leave the room. On the way out I passed my grandmother who was coming in. She placed a comforting hand on my shoulder, one that turned into an embrace. I sighed, said I loved them, and went back to the main room with Thomas and Isabel. Do you forgive him Isabel asked me from the leather couch she rested on. It had been an hour of mostly silence. I stared through the open door to the room where my grandparents slept. The questions about my mother and how much of the blame was on my grandfather had been swirling through my head since Cartwright left. I don't know, I said. I don't even know if I blame him in the first place. 
Maybe I do. I shifted my spot at the table and buried my head in my hands. Deep in thought. I don't think I'll be able to make sense of it until the hunter is put away at least. And maybe not for a while after. My whole life I thought my mum was the one to blame. I thought grandma and grandpa were saints for taking me in. That hasn't changed necessarily. Isabel said carefully. They did still take care of you. They did still help your mum go to rehab. She wouldn't have had to if grandpa didn't bring drugs through town to begin with. After a moment I sighed and lifted my head again. Before Isabel could speak I said, I know, I know, he couldn't have foreseen what would happen. Even if he wanted to get out, it's not like it was easy. I mean look where we're at now. You think those guys are gonna get him Thomas asked. He was just near enough to hear the conversation. Inside the security room with the door open, examining the screens. I looked down at the old laptop with the map pulled up. Cartwright had taken his phone with him. I logged into the website on that so he could more easily track the hunter on the move. The marker had come to rest in a house on the edge of town. For a while it continued to move around the vicinity, but now it had remained in one place. There's something moving on the screen, Thomas said. Isabel instantly shot up from her resting state. I took my attention away from the laptop. What is it I'm not sure. Just some moving in the bushes right now. It's really hard to tell with how dark the screens are. The two of us joined Thomas in the security room. He was right about the vision. Not only the darkness but also the storm. Very little could be seen. Then, just barely, we caught sight of it. We each sighed in relief and shared some mild, awkward laughter at the sight of a cow moose. Isabel went to lay on the couch again after a while. She hadn't slept much on the plane ride and was exhausted. I kept Thomas company in the security room. We talked for the better part of an hour about everything we could think of. The revelation of our grandfather's past. The refutation of all our ideas of imagined experiences. And the realization that both of us were starving. Thomas left the room to rummage through the fridge for something to eat. That's when everything went to hell. Complete darkness filled the cabin. All of the security screens went black at once. The lights out. The open fridge now dark. For a moment neither of us reacted. Then we sprang into action. Waking each of our sleeping family members. Confusion was the shared experience. Was it the storm? A simple, yet terrifying coincidence? We each grabbed our guns. We each threw our bags of ammo over our shoulders. We mounted ourselves around the table as grandma helped grandpa to his chair. Then came the smell. A smoky scent that stung our nostrils. Fire Thomas shouted. Sure enough the walls of the hallway that led deeper into the cabin were lit by the crimson glow of open flame. As the wicked heat and smoke began to fill the main room, we panicked. We asked each other what to do and where to go. The sinking dread of the realization that this could be no coincidence sank in. To the van grandpa shouted over our yelling. We have to get to the van. Go into the harsh rains we went. Thomas took the keys and ran through the mud to unlock the doors and turn on the vehicle. Then he stood guard. His gun held high and looking every which way. Isabel helped grandma through the mud to the van where they began to lower the ramp. They yelled at me to hurry, but the thin wheels of my grandfather's chair digging deep into the slippery sticky earth slowed me immensely. Leave me he yelled. It's me he wants. Damn it. Leave me but I wouldn't. I dragged the chair behind myself as I clawed through the muddy driveway. And then a sudden cracking noise filled the air. It was not thunder. The sound was followed by a shrill and haunting screech. A scream which I will never forget. Isabel pulled grandma into the van. Grandma who laid on her lap. 
a splotch of blood spreading through her apron. My grandfather yelled and cried in a way I had never heard before. With the adrenaline now at a peak, I was able to drag the wheelchair to the van. As Thomas shot into the woods, I shoved grandpa's chair in, pushed the ramp up, closed the door and got in the passenger side. With his shotgun now empty Thomas jumped into the driver's seat. He peeled away, kicking up mud and swerving his way out to the main road. I looked to the back seat to see my grandmother, thankfully still conscious. Grandpa held her hand and cried, completely unintelligible. Get to the hospital I yelled. I prayed it would be enough. Grandma tried to soothe us, though her voice was getting faint. Isabel ran her fingers through the copper and silver locks of her hair. For a moment nothing at all existed as I watched the color fade from the woman who raised me. Thomas broke the trance with a yell. Behind us I snapped my head to see through the mirror a pair of bright headlights quickly approaching us. I pulled my handgun from its holster. Is it him Isabel asked. She was answered by the sudden jolt of the van being slammed into by a heavy truck. I rolled down my window and leaned out with my gun drawn. I emptied the magazine towards the truck. A few shots hit the vehicle but most ricocheted off the wet asphalt of the highway. I pulled myself back into the van to reload. My hair was dripping from the downfall outside. The inside of the door was soaked and slick from being opened so long in such a storm. Drive steady, I said. I once again leaned out of the van. This time going so far as to sit on the windowsill and hold tightly onto the van's cargo bar to keep from falling. Be careful Thomas yelled as the truck veered off to the side. I saw the hunter driving. He wore his wooden mask even now. I steadied my gun at him just as he lifted his up to me. Two resounding shots rang out, and two bullets landed. Both of us missed our mark. The side mirror below me cracked and fell onto the road. The truck decelerated rapidly. I had flattened one of the tires at least. I watched as the vehicle came to a stop, and as the lights faded in the storm. I'll kill the son of a bitch. I'll kill him grandpa yelled all the way to the hospital. We got there just in time. The few members of the medical staff in the building were able to steady grandma's vitals. We have to life flight her to Anchorage. A nurse told us grandchildren just outside of the emergency room. Only one person can fit in the helicopter with her. Considering how many of the medical staff needs to go with, we discussed it amongst the family and decided that Isabel should accompany her. The main reason being that grandpa refused to leave town until the hunter was dead. The three of us watched from the rooftop as the helicopter took flight and slowly faded into the now rising sun as the clouds of rain dispersed. Then as we stood on the wet cement roof of the hospital we saw the lights of three assed vehicles pulling into the parking lot. We met the three officers by the front door. I could tell from the look on his face that Cartwright was utterly distraught. Before he could explain what had happened, Grandpa flew into a rage. Wheeling himself towards them he screamed and cursed at the officers. He denounced them for failing to protect us. Failing to protect my grandmother. As Cartwright's head hung low in despair, I couldn't help as my own emotions bubbled to the surface. No, you don't get to be angry I shouted at the old man in the chair. None of this would be happening if it wasn't for you. You almost got us killed as children. You almost got my grandma killed. And you did kill my mother. All of us are here picking up after you. So don't just sit there. Useless while the rest of us try and fix it tears streamed down my face. I could hardly see. I could hardly think. And soon, I could hardly speak. As my throat closed tight from emotion. As my tongue stumbled over the words. I gave up and turned away. Back to the van. I cried. 
I cried with my head hung low until I felt a hand touch my shoulder. I looked up to see Thomas. He said nothing, but through my tears I saw that he was crying as well. I rested my head on his shoulder and he wrapped his arm around me. We didn't find the truck on the highway back to the station. The hunter must have thrown on a spare. I rode with Cartwright. I wanted to keep some distance from my grandfather. The whole drive back. Cartwright told me about what had happened after they'd left to track the hunter down. The GPS led them to a house on the edge of town. They slowly surrounded it before knocking the front and back doors down simultaneously. The house belonged to the motel owner. After talking to him for a while, they figured out what had happened. The hunter must have answered the phone while hiding inside of the office. The owner said that the door had been unlocked when he got there despite him always leaving it secured. Once the hunter realized the police were involved, he slipped the phone into the pocket of a coat left behind in there. When the owner arrived the hunter was gone. None the wiser he grabbed the coat, thinking nothing of it, and went back home. We had tracked the owner as a distraction. We underestimated him, I said, staring distantly into the trees. And we paid for it. The SUV pulled into the driveway of the now-chaired police station. It was followed by the other three vehicles. As we stepped closer to the ruins of the cabin, a single white square caught my eye. I walked up to it, picked it up, and brushed away the soot. Thomas wheeled my grandfather forward. The three of us and the police looked at the paper. The very same newspaper that had reported the warehouse explosion. Taken from my grandparents' house and placed here at the scene. The ink had leaked and dried, like faded charcoal tears on the parchment. My grandfather sighed.